Mr. Hawkins, could you make your way up to the stage? I'll do that at the end. Did you hear, did you hear that? You got, a, that? you got a wolf whistle. Amazing. Would you, would you like to go there? You can be centre stage, Ed. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Hello. Is that on? Do I need to? There Hello. Morning. Not, not that you really need it. You could just... I know, right? You could just belt it out for us, couldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Projection. Um, so, Ed, awesome to have you here with us today, mate. Thanks very much. Really been looking forward to, to um, hearing your story. Obviously, this is coming in the context of all this year looking at God's big story and how our stories fit in with his story. Uh-huh. And in a church like this, it's really easy for lots of people to bump into each other on a day-to-day basis and not really know the incredible stories that are going on in, in each other's lives. So... It'd be great, first of all, just if you could just tell us a bit about yourself and tell us like, how you came to be here at Aaron and how you came to know Jesus. That'd be great. Okay. Um, I'll start with the um, getting to know Jesus first because that happened first. Uh, I was born in London and I grew up in Stevenage in Hertfordshire. Um, my folks were Christians. I went to church since I could remember. Uh, a long and complicated theological background, one set of grandparents were communists, the other set were Christadelphians, if you know what Christadelphians are, so it's very sort of, it's a niche, uh, if you like, uh, and anyway, so uh, went to a so, Methodist so church. So communists and Christadelphians, yeah, all of the yeah. C's. It was a straightforward Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no presents from the communists, no, I'm joking. Um, um, you had to share them with everyone. <laughs> Um, and there, so I went to a Methodist church and then a Baptist church and then I went to an Anglican church when I was studying music in London where I met Jenny, my wife and uh, uh, yeah, I would say that like a lot of people who grow up in church you have moments where you feel like ah, I can appropriate this for myself now I feel like this is an encounter I'm having at places like Spring Harvest back in the day and um where it felt like it became much more of a personal journey instead of my family do this. Um, But went to lots of different types of church and then at university another chap, Simon Parkin, um, was uh, studying at university, same university, studying theology. We got on really well, we started to play together a bit and then we got together in a band with... Uh, a drummer called Mikey Randon, who's really, really lovely, who you may not know, and Dan Borum, who is really also really, really lovely, who you hopefully do know. Um, and we moved down here to make music. We were signed to a Christian record label um, uh, with a lovely A&R manager called Andy Harson. You may also know him. So it's all very incestuous. and we all sort of lovely, <laughs> lovely people. Yeah. But so that's how we ended up down here. Um, within a very short space of time, for various reasons, that um, that project kind of turned into something else and then eventually um, folded. We were at the stage where we were trying to work out what to do next. We didn't, Jenny and I didn't really have any roots down here in Sussex, but uh, apart from the great friends that we'd made and that... Um, that made us want to, we were recently married, within three, four years, our sort of main raison d'etre for being down on the south coast had kind of gone, and um, and Aaron and the sort of family we made here really um, was our reason for staying down here, and we've stayed ever since. 
Sorry, how many years ago did you say that was? Um, we, uh, this is 15 years ago. Amazing. Oh, yeah. That's so great. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you are up to these days and okay, the I'll, amazing I'll... <laughs> story about how it came about. Um, okay, uh, so I, I studied as a trumpet player and I was working as a trumpeter in orchestras, which is great fun to do, but very hard to make money, <laughs> money from. Um, and it's easier to make money playing in wedding bands and things like that. It's actually if you do it. So I was doing that and doing teaching. I was teaching in a school with uh, and a good friend of mine was the singing teacher there and we were sitting in the pub um, and she just started giving lessons to Jenny because she was hiring a voice out in the classroom and we were chatting about that and she was listening to me talk and she was like, oh, I think you should give it a go and like have some singing lessons. Um, and so I just started doing it for fun and... Um, the way I would describe it is, as a singer, singers talk about their instrument, their voice, uh, kind of separate from their ability to use it, if you see what I mean. Like, like you would, a guitarist would talk about their guitar. So I happened to have been born with a useful instrument. It was a, a, a bass instrument, as you may be able to tell. And, and that's rare. I didn't realize, but that, that's an, a less common voice type, which may, and also it's easier to be a late starter if you're a bass um just for physical reasons but it was like being told that the car you have is quite a good car but you don't know how to drive a car so that so that started a process of of learning that and then gradually some of the conductors who used to book me as a trumpet player very kindly um started to book me as a soloist for their concerts and that gradually um uh, that gradually built up i didn't want to go back to university again just because it's so expensive and so I just tried to find out who the teachers that everyone liked at the music colleges were so I I started working with this guy privately from the Royal College and he said you should audition for this opera house Glyndebourne which some of you may know it's down the coast from here in a town called Lewis Um, and it's really really good and it's like it's one of the top ones in the in the country if not Europe and the world it's really really got a good reputation, especially the chorus where I'm working. And so I auditioned for that. Uh, the interesting part of the story, maybe, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so I kind of geared myself up to give up teaching. Like Jenny has been super supportive for this whole thing of just sort of, okay, let's try this and I'm going to try and go for this. And, you know, it costs, costs a lot. <laughs> sort of, I'll talk about that in a minute, but like, Someone says you've got something, like just thinking about the spiritual side of things, someone saying, oh, I really think you should do this, and you plant a little seed, and then after that, instead of just going, oh, great, you know, you say, oh, I really believe God is saying you should do this. Like, after that moment in the pub came hours and hours and hours of slog and practice and, like, walking over to Andy's house to practice in his shed, like, in the freezing rain and all that kind of like putting the hours in so um but anyway so i got to like uh the, the day before my audition i think for glymon so i've been building up and building that but i actually got i got diagnosed with testicular cancer like the day before my audition for this that i've been building up for ages um which was it was a big shock yeah, I could so I could tell in the sort of appointments that I'd had to sort of go. Is this? What do you think? Um, 
and that was huge. As you can imagine, we just had Martha, so Martha was still very, very young. Fred, our first child, had been very premature, so we'd had like we'd had our sort of ups and downs, definitely. But then to be suddenly hit with this, like right before this audition, that I'd sort of been building up for was um, was huge, and that it was half term. I can remember because it was literally getting ready for the audition one day, then diagnosis the next day, then the next day was going and doing the audition, then the next day was operation prep and blood work, and then the next day was finding out about that I'd got it, and then the next day was the operation. It was like a craziest half-term ever. Um, but, you know, all good. It was, um, it was an operable cancer. They uh, took it out, and, and it hadn't spread, and I still go to an oncologist but uh, you know he's the the appointments are relatively relaxed affairs now it's part of the sort of follow-up um but yeah it was it was it was crazy <laughs> I mean, that is, that, it's amazing ed and i just think you know there's probably lots of people here who um who feel like they've had words and things so somebody they've had, maybe it's been in a spiritual setting or maybe it's been like a chance meeting in a pub where something's been spoken over their lives and you know we can sometimes have the tendency can't we just think well God's just gonna drop it into our lap but like you say you had to you had to go through a real process of working hard based on that word that had been given to you and also like and and also stepping out in faith and letting go of some other things before that could happen and it wasn't all plain sailing was it it was it was really difficult walking up to that to that moment yeah and I guess having having received that um diagnosis I, I when it came to doing that audition what was that like yeah, not nervous at all yeah. <laughs> like, I, literally, mean, I could very literally think will the next 10 minutes of singing be worse than having one of my testicles removed <laughs> No, you, it won't. You can tweet. <laughs> that, that is the tweetable phrase yeah. from this interview. So if any of you are doing job interviews or auditions and you think, how can I get rid of the butterflies? <laughs> if it helps and is you have worse, testicles, then? then maybe use that. Absolutely. I don't know. I'm, I'm not a life coach, but I, it helped me a lot. <laughs> so you gave it all you got at, yeah, that, yeah. at that audition, right? Yeah, because like you my do your worst. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so then, obviously, everything progressed. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, and um, and how you find like living out your faith in that in the, in that environment. There's so much to talk about about how, um, like, for me, it was a huge thing to go from essentially working not just for myself, but kind of by myself. I was playing at gigs, and I turn up and hello, and go away, and then. Uh, and teaching as well, you know, I'd, I'd interact with, like, the receptionist signing in. And then it would just be teaching lessons to kids and coming in. So I never really had a work environment with colleagues my own age until I was thrust into, like, six days a week. Very emotional, very, very driven people who are really, like, they've genuinely set... Their goal is to be the best in the world at what they do. Like, everyone at work. And, and working out... Um, what it's like to be surrounded by that kind of drive, um, what fuels that drive in different personality types. Like, there are some people who are quite difficult to work with, but I have a lot more grace when you see, like, you're walking a tightrope 
doing something incredibly difficult on a stage, like I get why you have those defenses and like, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a very complex and it's full of complicated personalities. Um, and working out how you fit into that and if, and I guess how on earth you start to model something different. Um, I d there's a lot to say about it. I, d I would say that um, the thing I've noticed is that uh, the people who survive the best are the people who are interested in the graft as opposed to the applause. And I think that's a very useful analogy for life. I think a lot of what we see nowadays in the media and a lot, a lot of the game shows and they're like X Factor, it's, you know, it's great and it's exciting, but it's fueled by the idea that the applause is the most important thing. Um, and I've seen, I've seen it time and time again with people and without faith even coming into the conversation, the clapping is not enough. <laughs> like it won't, it won't last for you. The feeling, the feeling of it going. And I've seen it. Like I see it. I was on stage last night. Like everyone loves it. And it's like the feeling when you do, when everyone's applauding a show that they love, it's great. But it's it's, it's not ultimately fulfilling. And I think whatever you find in your life that you feel like is your passion, you have to love the the graft of it. Because if you only love the clapping. Like it, it won't last. It, um, and even before God, God gets involved in that, and I think if you look at the people who are very fulfilled by what they do, and um, and actually maybe allowing God fully into what they are trying to do with their life, the applause that you get gets less and less. I always think when when Jesus talks about. Um, like, do not be like the Pharisees when they do this and do this. They have received their reward in full. It's like, well, if, you're re if you wanted clapping, you've received your reward in full. Like, if the thing which you tie your personality to is people hitting their hands together at you, then congratulations, that's what you... <laughs> but if you're looking for something deeper, like, that always stuck with me, that, like, they've received... Well, you've received your reward in full. But... It's not about that. It's about like the sweat of it. If you love the sweat of it, and God, like God, definitely is to be found in that kind of effort. Absolutely, absolutely. You, um, when we when we chatted before, you said something that I really, really loved. Um, I'm not going to say it to steal your thunder, but do you remember what you said about being good news? Oh yeah, it'd be yeah. great for you to say something about that in in, yeah, in your context. It's really hard. I, I live in a really odd bunch of people because there are people who so singers will often come from a choral background so uh, there are people at work who have lived in a cathedral since they were six years old <laughs> like how do you talk? <laughs> and they have no interest in faith at all but where do you start with that like that's a really interesting sort of balance a lot of people know church music when I'm on tour there's quite a bunch of people who will go to We've just been to Norwich and Canterbury, and they're lovely places. Like, um, and they will go to Evensong because they love Evensong, and they will go, "Ah, oh, they're singing the Stanford in G. That's nice. I like that one." Or the worst among them will be like, "Oh, I hear the tenor section is awful. Let's go and listen to it." Do you see what I mean? But they'll go to even this beautiful, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, just sing deliberately loud. Uh, yeah, it's embarrassing. 
But the, how do you talk about your faith in a in That's an why environment? I church. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but how do you talk about your faith in a, when you've got that? You've got people who are just like, I, I, you know, just relationships breaking down and forming and forming when they shouldn't form, and 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 arguments and egos and but everyone with a sort of what's what's noticeable about most singers and most actors is they have very high emotional intelligence. They just do. They, they, they think themselves into other people's skin, so they spot a fraud a mile off. Like, they're very quick to be like, oh, yeah, whatever. So uh, when we were talking about, like, how do you be good news in the era of fake news? Like, it's fake news nowadays, right? You see something on Facebook and you're, you share it because you, you, you agree with it, but you don't actually know whether it's based on any kind of fact. You know, and uh, and it's very difficult to think. Well, we, what we carry is this wonderful good news, but um, you know, a lot of people's people don't people spot a salesman and they distance themselves from a salesman. So, if you feel like your way of communicating your faith is to give it the hard sell, I just I don't I don't feel like I live in that world anymore. Do you know what I mean? If I stood up on a soapbox, everyone I know. He's not a Christian. We were like, I am going to go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it's hard because you're left with, well, I better show them how amazing I am and then they'll love God. <laughs> and then you're like, well, that doesn't <laughs> work even either. even more difficult. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. And it's very difficult. I've had some, con- like some of my closest friends now are in that group because we just, we live in each other's pockets all the time. Like we're on the road together and, and you know you, you do your best I guess to try and set an example um, but most of the time it's just it's just showing that you're not I don't know gratitude I guess you know you're just grateful for situations where everyone else is moaning about it and maybe it's because I came to it late and it's still like I'm still enjoying my job quite a lot but like there's a lot of moaning and you just think or maybe if I'm not the person, if I try and see the best in someone instead of talking about them behind their back, like that is as, as Christ-like as I can be in this situation. But eventually it pays off. Like people come up and like, like with my illness, they know that I got ill and they're just like, oh man, like I don't know how yeah. you got through that. And, and the answer is my faith. But to be honest, invariably, like I'll say to them like, I do have a trick to it all, but I'll tell you when you're sober. <laughs> like, Brilliant. Like, no, that, it's that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, because if I just went like, Bleh, here's the gospel message, I'd be like, all right, wind it in. I was yeah. just, just a question. It doesn't like, and it's, I know that those conversations are there to be had, but um, the need nowadays to back it up with a genuine relationship I just think it that's a given now. We move past the time where you can just soapbox at people, yeah. I think. But it's, that's the harder way of doing it and because we're not perfect and it takes longer. <laughs> yeah. 
But I think Ed, what you're sharing is a struggle that we all have and we, whatever area of work that we're in, it's just how do we be that, that good news? How can we, and the only way we're going to do it is if we, wherever, wherever it is that God places us, if we become the leaven in the dough, like Jesus said, if we become like the salt in, yeah. in that place. And so we would just want you to know that as a church, we're 100% behind you. We think it's absolutely amazing what you're doing. Um, how, could people, how can people come and hear you? Um, there, there's a Christmas concert we're doing a little it's 50th anniversary of the Glyndebourne tour so there's a concert at Glyndebourne but then there's um, I'm, I'm touring around at the beginning of next year but I should be back in the autumn but um, yeah I always say like let me know if you want to come because there's often like cheaper deal the tickets are uh, super pricey but there are often deals so like just let me know if you fancy coming along Amazing. Um, Let's give Ed a massive round of applause. We're proud of you, buddy. It's fantastic.